0: Welcome to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. How they say you can tell a woman is pregnant because she glows? She gives off such powerful energy that you can tell she is expecting a child because of that powerful force she emits. You know how they tell new parents that you're going to be tired, exhausted, ready to collapse, but you should savor every minute of it because babies grow so fast. It's fleeting and will be gone too soon. And it's so important to breastfeed your new infant because it will establish an otherworldly bond between mother and child that nothing else, certainly not formula, can replace. But what if that isn't your experience? So let's discuss postpartum depression. It's not baby blues. It's not just a little bit of hormones and it will pass. It's not you're just too tired and you need to take some you time. It's depression, serious depression. Why don't we talk about it more, acknowledge it more? It's real. And women are suffering, many silently and alone, feeling they are horrible people, horrible parents. There must be something wrong with them, because this is supposed to be a magical time, right? But it just doesn't feel like magic. They should be over the moon with happiness. But in fact, it can feel like a nightmare. Postpartum depression is actually a lot more common than you might think. You probably actually know someone who has suffered from it, most likely quietly. And why? Why did it happen? And why would you not have known about it? So that brings me to stigma. There's a lot of stigma around parenting and being perfect parents. This is especially true around those first few precious months and first years. You want to be the perfect parent. You want to keep your child safe and healthy And avoid every single hazard. Wrap everything in the house in bubble wrap. And wrap baby in foam padding. We have to keep them safe, of course. That's our natural instinct. We're mammals, after all. But what if this instinct, these hormones, get a little unbalanced? What if they cause a woman, a new mom, to become unbalanced? or off-balance, and she falls into depression. Not blues, not baby blues, depression. Is it her fault? Are we understanding and supportive? Or do we judge? She's a bad mother. I would never have acted like that. She needs to snap out of it. Why is it hard to be supportive of a new mom who is having trouble? Maybe she is in real trouble. The truth is, postpartum depression impacts about 15% of women who give birth each year. To put it into perspective, that's about six times the number of women who will be diagnosed with breast cancer each year. These are not vanishingly small numbers. And yet, we don't hear about it, we don't talk about it. But we should. Of course, we should. It is treatable. Women who go without treatment can suffer for months or years if they don't seek help. Let's start a discussion. Coming up next is my discussion with Dr. Lakeisha Anderson. Dr. Anderson has a PhD from George Mason University, and is the Assistant Director for Academic and Professional Affairs at the National Communication Association. Welcome to Women Transcend, Lakeisha. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am glad to have you join us to talk about postpartum depression. Um, Not that it's, you know, an exciting topic, but it's really an important topic. And I think it's also one that a lot of people think they know, but maybe don't know so much. So I'm I'm really glad to have you join us to clarify. So sometimes people mistake having postpartum depression with what is sometimes called baby blues. Is there a difference? There is
1: a difference. And sometimes it's really hard to understand what that difference is because the symptoms of postpartum and the symptoms of baby blues are so similar. So if you look at the symptoms of postpartum, the most common, which are things like sadness, lack of energy, um, inability to sleep, and then when you're sleeping, having nightmares, uh, changes in appetite, and things like difficulty caring for the newborn and excessive fear and anxiety. Those are all things that a new mother experience as well. So the big difference between baby blues and postpartum depression is really time. So you experience baby blues in a transitional period between the time that you give birth and the four to six weeks after the postpartum period when your body's adjusting hormonally. And after that four to six weeks, your body should really start to readjust and go back to kind of a, a normal state. After that six-week period, if those things are still occurring, if you're still experiencing those that fear and anxiety, that inability to sleep, that lack of energy or sadness all the time, then you need to start thinking about whether or not it's postpartum depression. So that really is the difference between the two is kind of that time factor. And the, the excessive fear and anxiety is very different between baby blues and postpartum depression because you can start... I wouldn't go as far as to say that there are delusions with postpartum depression because that's something different with postpartum psychosis. But you can can definitely have anxiety that is paralyzing that isn't necessarily the case with baby blues.
0: Okay. So postpartum depression, this is no joke. It's not when you differentiate baby blues. Not that that's a lot of fun, but postpartum depression what you've just described this is some really serious consequences to both mom and potentially baby yeah absolutely it's the most common complication of childbirth
1: so um up to 1 in 7 women have postpartum depression, new mothers. So that roughly translates to 14% of new mothers. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. And actually, in Australia, they claim that it's even more. They claim that one in five of their new mothers have postpartum depression. And there are lots of scholars in the United States who claim that we probably have the same prevalence rate here, but we can't get- It's underdiagnosed. Yeah, it's underdiagnosed because we don't track postpartum depression here. And suicide is the second leading cause of death in postpartum women. So wow. We're not tracking postpartum depression, but women who have babies are committing suicide at alarmingly high rates. And we're not we're not looking at that. Yeah. Um, And that's a that's an important issue that we need to be looking at. So it's it's important that you're having this conversation.
0: Yeah, I I just had this episode's OMG moment because Wow, why do not why do we not know this? That is not very many women of childbearing age die, thankfully, but mm-hmm. the second leading cause is suicide during postpartum mm-hmm. depression. Yeah. Wow. And why are we not doing a better job of diagnosing it, treating it and tracking it? I wish I had the
1: answer to that, that I could go out and fix it. But we don't do a good job of screening for postpartum depression is really what I think it boils down to. There are some screening tools, most notably the Edinburgh postpartum depression scale, but we're not seeing that widely administered in hospitals and especially in OBGYN offices at the four and six six week postnatal checkup. Um, If we do see it administered, we're seeing it administered in hospitals upon checkout, which is not when we need to be testing for postpartum depression because everybody's experiencing some sort of depressive symptom at that point. That's not Uh when we need to be asking women if they have postpartum depression. They have baby bleeds at that point. So we're not seeing a lot of women tested for it when they need to actually say these are the symptoms that I'm experiencing and those scales you know, anybody who's experiencing any sadness at all is gonna test high on those scales. So, you know, do they test for depression? Yes. Do they test for something that they're gonna be referred for? Maybe, maybe not. In the past it's been the situation that the uh the DSM four did not include postpartum depression as a diagnosis. You could have uh-huh. clinical depression after pregnancy, but you couldn't have postpartum depression. In the DSM 5, you could have postpartum depression, but the diagnosis was different than what a lot of medical scholars view it as, which is up to one year after giving birth. And nobody is really looking at it a year out. And I know. In my own research, when I've talked to women about whether they've been screened, it's, they're not being screened. And they're most certainly not being screened after they end their postnatal appointments. So after that six-week checkup, they're not getting anything. So we've had a lot of conversations about whether or we not we need to get pediatricians involved in screening. Yeah,
0: exactly. Because
1: they have more contact with mothers than anybody during the first year. Yeah.
0: And moms take care of their kids. And I'm sure do the best they can to get their babies to their well baby checks. Right. And that seems like a great opportunity to do a screening, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure that's a hard sell to the pediatrician there. I'm sure they (laughs) feel that is out of their lane and they're not trained to do that. And they're not reimbursed to do it. Right. That's, that's been some of the pushback. That's
1: not our area of expertise. That's, you know, that is a, maternal issue. That's not something that we can take time out of our schedule to focus on. And so, and then we come back with, well, maybe we can train the nurses to do it at intake, or maybe we could do it at a kiosk during the wait time. There's always a way to, to talk about going around the issues, but so yeah. far, no, nothing's really come out of it. So I don't uh-huh. you know, Lots of talking, but no action so far. Yeah.
0: So nobody wants to necessarily take on the issue. That's really interesting that the pediatricians say that this is a maternal issue. It's not involved in the child's health. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can't separate the two. They're so intertwined. Right. You absolutely can't separate
1: the two. I mean, we know that there are behavioral issues that are associated with postpartum depression. We know that there are educational behavioral problems that are associated with postpartum depression, growth issues. So you can't separate them. But um, you know, and we're we're having some of the same issues in some of the work that I've done. I've had mothers tell me that their OBGYN told them it wasn't their problem, that it was a psychiatrist's problem. So if they had mental issues, they needed to see a psychiatrist. You know, nobody really wants to take full responsibility in one field or the other. So it it really just kind of seems like it's hit or miss with your doctor.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's frequently the case. And unfortunately, you know, the model that no door is the wrong door doesn't seem to be in place very often. Right. Yeah. So uh, do you think that there is any amount of sort of not victim blaming, but downplaying well, Oh, you're, you're hus- an hysterical new mother, does that play a role? I think that that does have
1: some part in it. Um, I think that we expect mothers to behave a certain way and we're trained to behave a certain way. And, you know, from the time that we're little, we're expected to behave as mothers in a certain way. And then when we don't, you know, something is made of that. And I I do think that things are, are said both in the media, particularly in the media, I think there's a lot of victim blaming in the media. Um, we sensationalize when women do things to children or when things happen that aren't traditionally what we expect mothers to do because they have a mental illness. And then we call things postpartum that aren't postpartum. So everybody everybody sees Andrea Yates as the poster child for postpartum depression when what she had was postpartum psychosis. Uh-huh. And so everybody sees postpartum depression and says, Oh, well she's going to kill her child. And that's not what that is. And so, um, I think there is a lot of that that happens. And so we, we do a lot of blaming and we do a lot of, well, she's just not doing a good job of, of coping and making a transition. And, and there's not a lot of thought into, well, what else might be going on at home? Maybe she doesn't have a good support system at home, maybe breastfeeding isn't going well. Uh Um, You know, there's a lot of factors that could be going on that could be creating some other factors that impact a person's mental state. But a lot of people don't stop and consider those things. So, you know, and a lot of people don't ask about them. I think there is a lot of victim blaming that goes on. So
0: what would a woman do if she feels like, you know, I'm three, four, five months out from giving birth, and I'm, I'm, feeling like I still have this hopelessness, nightmares, trauma feeling, at what point should a woman feel that it's time to get some professional help and reach out on her own behalf? You know, ideally, the system would reach out to her and say, hey, do you need help? But as you have explained, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. So as friends of new moms, what can we watch for? And as there are new moms, what would they watch for in themselves that would be a signal that, you know what, I I need to get some help for this?
1: I think that some big warning signs, I think there are two big warning signs. So that length of time issue is important. So if you're uh-huh. still experiencing those, those feelings after six weeks postpartum, I think it's time to ask for some help. I think it's time to talk to a doctor about that and if you feel that you can't talk to your OBGYN about that or if you talk to an OBGYN and you don't get anywhere then seek out other help yeah. um, I, th- I think a lot of people do seek help find a wall and that's as far as they go and that can't be the answer that's that's frightening Yeah, and then I think also the excessive fear and anxiety issue I've talked to so many women who have given me so many stories about what they have felt. And I'll just give you a couple of examples where they knew that this was different. Um One of them had an experience where they could not let their child go to somebody else. So when their kid was an infant, um, if somebody wanted to hold the child, whether it was their mother or their husband, whoever it was, she could not physically let go of the child because she felt like they were going to drop the child Uh and she could see in her head, she could see the visual of that child's head hitting the floor and busting open like a watermelon. Oh my goodness. And she said she could see it clear as day that it was a watermelon. It wasn't the child's head, but it was the watermelon that was busting. Uh But that was in her head. That's what it was, was her kid. That was, her child was going to die if she let it go it was absolutely physically impossible for her to do Uh so she felt like she was incapable of letting go but she knew she needed some help she couldn't carry this child around all the time either so she was having some problems with that and then I've had another woman tell me that at one point she became so overwhelmed by what was going to happen to her in traffic if she made a left-hand turn that she just wouldn't that she just stopped because she was so afraid that in making that left hand turn, the oncoming traffic wouldn't stop and they would die. Oh, gosh. She just wouldn't go anymore. Uh huh. And so the traffic was beeping at her and going around her and making obscene gestures at her. Yeah, but of course. He was crying and uh, yeah. could not force herself to drive the car because she didn't know what would happen. And she was afraid that either her baby would die and she couldn't go on or she would die and leave her child motherless. You know, I've heard so many stories about people who are just in those situations where it's paralyzing. And Uh that is completely different than what you experience with baby blues. And when you're experiencing issues like that, you need help. And whether that help comes in the form of medication or therapy That's something that has to happen. So I think when the length of time passes that six-week mark and when you know that that fear and anxiety is incapacitating for you is definitely not normal or something that you you can get over, then you need to start talking to people. You need to tell people. You need to tell a friend, a a partner, a mom, anybody that you feel comfortable with, and you need to talk to a healthcare provider at that point.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And there is effective treatment, you know, assuming that you get connected to the right treatment, there is treatment that has been effective. Yeah. Both um, medication,
1: um, Mm -hmm. there's medication that's helpful, um, things like Lexapro, Celexa, mood altering um, medications. And then um, lots of people have found interpersonal talk therapy to be very successful, um, support group therapy. Support groups, yeah. 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 So support groups have been great for lots of people, but then individual therapy has been great for lots of people who aren't comfortable talking about that in a a group situation. And then in a lot of places, there aren't support groups, particularly in rural areas where it's more isolated. So they're having to seek out more individual therapy
0: sessions. Uh Uh-huh. Now, if you have had a baby and did not have postpartum depression. Does that sort of mean that you're off the hook? And if you have another baby that you're sort of immune, it's not going to happen to you? Not at all. It doesn't mean that it will, but it certainly doesn't mean that it won't.
1: You're more likely to experience postpartum depression if you've had it with your first, you might experience it again the second time. But, um, and you're more likely to experience it if somebody in your family has experienced it or if you have a history of depression. But just because you didn't experience it with the first pregnancy doesn't mean that you won't with the second.
0: Yeah. Now, if you've experienced it with the first pregnancy, I would imagine that if you go into a second pregnancy, that would be just terrifying.
1: Yes. And for many of the people I've talked to, it was terrifying. But the good thing about that is they they were able to prepare better is what I would say I have learned in talking to people with postpartum is that they knew they needed more support at home, tangible support. So um, more help with groceries or meals or taking them to appointments, cleaning around the house, preparing formula for the baby or whatever it was that they needed help with. But they, instead of everybody coming to your house, when the baby's born, they staggered people coming to their house. So maybe, you know, the woman's mother came first and then the partner's mother came and then maybe a friend came after that. Instead of everybody rushing all at one time, they were staggering their help and they were taking advantage of help more the second time than they were the first time. So I think they, I think if I can say anything about the way that they prepared the second time, it was that they uh, utilized tangible support a little bit better the second time around because I think they understood the purpose for that a little bit better. I think maybe sometimes with our firstborn, we think that we need to do it all ourselves and that we can do of it course. all ourselves. yeah. Uh-huh. I think that maybe there's a tendency to put that aside a little bit more with the second.
0: Interesting. Okay. And it's just too, it's unfortunate that we can't get to women who are in that ex- experience in their first episode of postpartum depression, maybe a little bit earlier with those supports. Yeah. So Understanding that everybody is different, if you are a woman who is experiencing postpartum depression, what is the absolute wrong thing for someone to say? (laughs) I think the
1: absolute wrong thing for somebody to say to a woman is to get over it or I get it. Uh, Oh, yeah. As with any illness, I think there's a tendency to want to associate or... Somehow, you know, empathize with that person and let them know, oh, I had a baby too. I had a hard time after that happened. It was difficult. I'm a big fan of saying empathy really doesn't exist.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> um, I, I think it's really hard to put yourself in another person's yes. shoes. I think it's the same with postpartum depression as it is with any other stigmatized illness or invisible illness. When you can't see how a person is suffering or if they're suffering at all, I think it's very easy to just assume that you know what a person is going through and and say all of the wrong things. You know, it's just like when a person has breast cancer and you can see that they're suffering you say all of the wrong things. Yeah, you're gonna get better. Or, well, my cousin had breast cancer, and this is what they did. Yeah, uh huh. You, it's always the wrong information. It's, yeah, it's never. Well, how can I help you? Or yes, it's, it's never positive affirmations, or, you know, what can I do to make this easier for you? So I think if people stopped trying to empathize with people and started trying to help people, Uh that would be the best way to help a person. But I I think the worst thing you can say is, I get it. I know what you're going through. Because unless you've had it, unless you've been there, you don't know Uh what that person's going through. And I I think that's the same with with any illness that you can't visibly see. Yeah.
0: And saying, Oh, I know what you're talking about inevitably is followed up by when I had my baby. Yes. And that's just something that women I don't know why. We just love to to yeah. oh let me tell you about my birth story. Yes. And yeah, like you said, that it's totally lack of empathy and also a lack of affirmation for what that woman is fe- experiencing and no okay you had your time now i'm going to tell you about oh how bad i had it right it just seems like that's something that that women in general do and i you know it's nothing i don't think that it's it's a mean spirited thing it's just sort of a cultural thing that we do right i always say it's like men in sports women have their childbirth stories. Yeah.
1: You know, that's what we sit around and talk about. And it's baffling to me that we think other women want to hear them, but (laughs) inevitably (laughs) we, you know, inevitably it always comes back to that. If you're in a group of people who are, you know, one person is pregnant, everybody will share their story. Oh yeah. And what really trips me up about those stories is that you're always going to hear the negative stuff first. Of course. Yeah. And, it's the negative birth story and the positive breastfeeding story. And so I've tried to flip my script a little bit and let my friends who are pregnant know breastfeeding was not easy for me. And it may not be for you. So when you hear all of these wonderful stories about how this is a beautiful thing that happens immediately, if uh-huh. it doesn't, that's okay. That's yeah. Yeah. Okay normal and that's fine. And if it doesn't happen, ask for help. If you don't want to do it, you know what, don't do it. Uh-huh. And you'll live through childbirth. You're going to be all right.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. um,
1: because the stories are just amazing to me yeah. here all, all the time. And I'm like, you're going to be terrified to give birth. And you're going to think if you can't breastfeed that you're a complete failure. Uh huh. So, you know, I try to be conscious now of the way that I speak about these things. And I, I wish that, more people would do that, but then not everybody studying the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but that is an excellent point, And I've never heard it put that way that we share the, you know, the negative aspect of our birth stories, but then celebrate the positive aspect of breastfeeding. And, you know, that is very poignantly put because it's, it's so true. And, Especially with breastfeeding, if you don't just have this you know miraculous you know, law moment where you know they latch and it's perfect right. and no problems. and lots of women have problems. And you know, I breast is best, but I also think that women can be sort of vilified and, and made to feel guilty if, if they aren't able to make breastfeeding work. Absolutely. So what can we do as just a society? or as women, to make things better for women who are experiencing postpartum depression in general? Well, I think there are three types of
1: social support
0: that we can really
1: provide women. And I think those are emotional, tangible, and informational support. So like I mentioned before, with the tangible support, if we can help with food, appointments, you know, chores around the house... Feedings with the baby, uh, whether that means getting up in the middle of the night and helping with a bottle if she's pumping or uh-huh. you know, formula, whatever it is, you know, help her find a way to get some sleep during the day because that's something that not a lot of the women that I'm talking to are getting. They're not getting a lot of sleep and they're having yeah. a lot of problems with breastfeeding. Help with those things. Um, With informational support, help them locate information and normalize that information. Bring in people who are opinion leaders for them. So whether that's a doctor or the woman's mother or best friend or husband, whoever it is that is important and influential for that woman, um, tell them that it's common to feel that way and that the feelings that they have have a name and that it's treatable and that it's important for them to get some help for it. Um, And then emotional support, finding like-minded others is key in getting Uh past it. One of the biggest findings in postpartum depression research is normalizing the feelings of, you know, postpartum. So finding people who share the experience, who can allow women who are experiencing it to speak without judgment. And often that's not in our own house and it's not with our own families. So support groups, I think are really important, because they offer that opportunity so they can go in and they can say, I don't really like being a mom. And it's not easy for me to do this. And sometimes I have these feelings. And that's making me feel like I'm abnormal, or, you know, I have these kind of anxieties. And uh-huh. say that to a person who's never had those experiences at the local playground. Oh, yeah. You know, they probably call CPS. Exactly. You would get us you would get a little visit from CPS later that day. Uh-huh. And you get to, you know, you tell that to your partner, your husband, and they don't understand because they're not experiencing that. And there is support that, you know, say that men experience postpartum depression of their own. But it's not in the same way that women have postpartum profession. It's not for the same reasons. They experience issues with providing financially and and not being at home and, and things like that. So, you know, being able to speak to people who have truly been down that road, who aren't just actually giving you the spiel that they've been down the road, but that they understand what's happening and that they're allowing for that space to talk freely and be understood when they're speaking, being able to talk. I've talked to so many women who have found other women and that's how they've gotten past it is that they created support groups. And then once they all got over their postpartum depression, then they created a mom's group together because they didn't want to leave each other. Yeah. And they've been together for years or they, some of them have moved away and They've created online support groups for other women or they wrote books for other women. They stay dedicated to the cause because they want other women to understand that you have to find other people who have been there. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is finding other people somehow, some way. So, you know, looking online for support groups, there's a support hotline. It's 1-800-PPD-MOMS that can help you find support groups. Um, There's postpartum support international. You can look online there and they've got links to local support groups in every state. And some of them, you know, like in the Northern Virginia area, I know there's not a ton of support groups, but um, there's lots of Resources that they provide. And then, you know, it's never far away to get to a support group. And then, of course, everybody's got a personal page that tells you about their journey. But even if it's just a personal page, you can always latch on to a person who's been there and you can talk to them. So, you know, that's always good. And then, you know, more hospitals are starting to offer support groups. So that's always a a place to try and get that support for women who are going through it. Do
0: you think that providing pregnant moms information on the risk uh, would be helpful or would it just be scary? Um, I, I think it's a great question. Two
1: States are actually doing that New Jersey and Washington state. And it's with a campaign called speak up when you're down and They provide pregnant women and postpartum women with information on postpartum depression, the symptoms, how to uh, seek treatment. They seek to normalize it so that they know where to go and that it's okay to seek treatment. And the reason that it started was because I'm pretty sure that I'm saying this correctly and I could be wrong. So I hope nobody calls me out on that. (laughs) Um, But I'm pretty sure the reason that I started is because the governor of New Jersey at the time, so it wasn't Chris Christie, but it was the governor before, I think his wife had experienced postpartum depression. And so I think that was the emphasis for creating the campaign and then Washington state adopted it. And I wish that more states would adopt the campaign because it was hugely successful in new jersey i don't know how successful it's been in washington state the health departments run it there but it was great in new jersey I actually have i've had several women who i've talked to bring it up um that i've talked to in both washington and in new jersey and they said that's how they knew about postpartum depression and that's how they knew how to get treatment for postpartum uh-huh. and that they had seen advertisements on TV that they had gotten information from their doctor that way. So I don't think it scared them. I think it was helpful for them and I would love to see that happen more often. I I don't think that it would be scary. I think that I think if they pay attention to it, it's good. Yeah. I've also worked on some studies where we've provided that information in an app form Oh. And they've just not paid attention to it because it didn't matter to them. The relevance yeah. wasn't high enough. You know you have to be motivated and and feel like it's relevant to pay attention to and you know the motivation wasn't there because they didn't feel like it was relevant for them, so uh-huh. they chose not to process the information, but you know maybe they would go back to it later if they felt it was important. but at the time that we presented it during that week you know it was a week by week information app. Kind of like a text for baby. Yeah. So at the time that we presented the information, it wasn't relevant to them. Mm-hmm. So at least in app form, at least in electronic format, it wasn't very successful. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. So it sounds to me like the biggest takeaways would be that we need to destigmatize postpartum depression and we need to really work on finding more open doorways for women who are in need.
1: Yeah, and I would say that there have been some efforts to destigmatize postpartum depression. I would definitely say that more celebrities are talking about their postpartum depression. Um it makes me a little skeptical because so many celebrities are oh, yeah. talking about it, so I just wonder in Hollywood how often they're diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and then there are more shows on television, more primetime shows, uh, medical dramas, private practice, um I don't really know all of them but uh-huh. I know uh, private practice for sure. Um they are dedicating um They're um, doing storylines on. They're doing storylines. Uh-huh. But they're so poorly done that it makes me change. Uh. Um the reason that I brought up private practice is because it it made me so mad because it was so clearly not postpartum depression because it was a woman who had killed her child because uh. she was having delusions. And, uh-huh. you know, let's, let's just go ahead and, and make Andrea Yates the poster child again. You know, but that's not the information we needed to be getting out there in, in this day. That's just yeah. further perpetuating a really bad myth that we have about a very treatable illness that We need to pay more attention to and get out the right information about, you know, we have baby blues, we have postpartum depression, we have postpartum psychosis. They're very, they're three very different things. Uh So we need to make sure that we're very clear on what those things are and and how we treat those because we treat postpartum depression differently than we treat, we treat baby blues. We treat postpartum psychosis very differently. That's a whole nother ballgame. Yeah.
0: Well, I really hope that we get some, some discussion started, particularly with women, about what postpartum depression is and have friends sort of on the lookout for other friends and have women do a gut check. Is this me? Because, you know, it's, as you mentioned at the start of our discussion, this is creating a lot of morbidity in women and potentially leading them to commit suicide. So it's not a small matter. Like you said, it's treatable. We just need to talk about it, know where to get help and be an empathetic ear if we can. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me for Women Transcend and for this very important discussion. Great. Thank you so much for having me. episode's Woman in the Spotlight is Brooke Shields. She put postpartum depression in the headlines in 2005 when she traded barbs with Tom Cruise, who criticized her use of antidepressants after the birth of her daughter. Shields talks frankly about her extreme, sometimes suicidal feelings in the book Down Came the Rain my journey through postpartum depression. She has said if I had been diagnosed with any other disease, I would have run to get help. I didn't at first, but finally I did fight. I survived. And for having the courage to be public with her struggle with postpartum depression, we make Brooke Shields our woman in the spotlight. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. You can do us a big favor and tell at least one other person about our podcast and how to find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. If you like a particular episode, it's super easy to share directly through Twitter or Facebook. A big thanks to Dr. Lakeisha Anderson for speaking with me for today's important episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that I sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode.